Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. of the Lord. If you don't know me, my name is Beth Johnson, and I have the privilege of being one of the staff members here to serve the body at Awake, and it's such a privilege to be standing here today and share the word. I want you to turn to Mark 4. We're going to talk about the sower sows the word. This can be found in Matthew 13, Mark 4 and Luke 8. We're going to read it out of Mark 4 today. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, And he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop or no fruit. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we come to you, and we come to your word, and we want to be those who have ears that hear. It's a position of our heart. It's a willingness to open up on the inside to hear what you have to say to us. So Holy Spirit, this is your time. I ask that you make my few words many that bring hope and revelation and redirection, everything that you've planned for today, the possibilities of heaven, we ask that they come and land in this place, in this space. And we boldly say, we have ears to hear, and we're going to listen. So it says Jesus is teaching in a parable. And if you've been in church at all or raised in church, you're used to hearing that. And really, a parable is a metaphor. It's an allegory. It's a comparison. It's a mystery. It's a figure of speech. It's an illustration. It's meant to stimulate intense thought, especially when it's a new way for you to think. And parables, Jesus taught one-third of all of his teachings were in parables, And there's seven more in this chapter alone. So it's an important thing, but we want to unpack what does this mean? So it's interesting. 
He just got done saying, the sower sows the word. But let's go to verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest any should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, because remember, they just asked him about it, and he says, do you not, verse 13, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Doesn't that feel weighty? If you don't understand the sower sows the word, Jesus is saying, how will you understand any parable? Quite a few months ago, we talked about this as a topic in our women's group. For those of you who already heard this, sorry, there is more information. But the Lord wouldn't let me out of this. And he kept saying, Beth, do you understand this? Do you understand the sower sows the word? Do you understand the weightiness that Jesus said, if you don't understand this, he's talking to his followers, if you don't understand this, how will you understand the rest? So I've been saying, God, what does this mean? Like, why is it so weighty? You can come to a different conclusion, but I'm gonna, come, I'm gonna let you know one conclusion I've come to, okay? And I want you to turn to Genesis 1. Verse 11 and 12. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, and whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. So God spoke it, and verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. When I was saying, why is this important? And God says, the sower sows the word is just repeating the principle that was set in motion at creation. Everything is a seed then time follows, and there's always a harvest. So we go back in Genesis, and this is on the third day of creation, God speaks this whole spiritual principle into being. I want you to be this, then there's seed to reproduce after your kind. Then in Genesis 8.22, it's interesting because God has destroyed the earth already. We went from chapter one to chapter eight and the whole world has been destroyed. <laughs> Not a good thing. But something God says, I think is really fascinating in Genesis 8:22. He's speaking and he says, well in 21 he says, never again will I curse the ground for man's sake, even though the imagination of his heart is evil from his youth nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. But this is so key. He goes, while the earth remains, what's gonna happen? Seed, time, and harvest. 
I want to suggest to you that word should be split apart. Seed, time, harvest. A lot of times when I was raised learning the word, it was always seed, time, and harvest. And it didn't talk to you about that huge gap in between. That's time. So just pull those apart. Um, because I feel like God is telling us why the sower sows the word is so important is everything. It's a spiritual principle. Has to do with seeds. Then time goes by. Your harvest will tell you what you've sown. So that's why I think. You can think otherwise, but that has just been swirling around in me. God, why is this so important? I feel like it's really uh, key too. We know in Galatians 6, 7, and 9, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If he sows to his flesh, he's going to reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he'll reap life eternal. And then it says, but don't get weary in doing what's right. For you will reap if you faint not. Let's put that up. Do you have that in? Yeah, the passion. I think that's, um, can we go back? Because I was doing it out of King James. Make Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant the corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the spirit. And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping, the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. So that just reinforces to me why the sower sows the word is so important. There are tons of scriptures about seed, sowing, reaping, all of that. But our topic, I didn't want to explain that more. I wanted to see what this one parable says. So let's go back to Mark 4. The sower sows what? The sower sows the word. Do you want to know the word talks to us personally? It says, Beth, you should do this. Beth, you shouldn't do this. Beth, you could have this, or you could have this. When you go to the word, you need to see it as speaking to you personally. If it's, it's interesting. It doesn't tell me if circumstances were different. It says, Beth, if you choose different. Beth, if you decide something. It's not saying, Beth, your life would be awesome if everybody else around you got fixed. It doesn't say that. It says, if I choose different, I'll reap different. If I change and make room for what the word says, then I can have what the word promises. If I seek first the kingdom, what can I have? Everything, right? Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added unto me. So I just want you to know when we approach this, the sower sowing the word, it's talking to us personally. It says, Beth, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
approach these scriptures today with some personal responsibility and you'll get powerful results. So the first one, Mark 4, 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside. I love that Jesus is really unpacking this for us. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the wayside, remember the soil is our hearts. Would you show the first one? That's the wayside. Does that look pretty hard to you? Everything stays on top. It's talking about the condition of our heart. And there are people, when the word goes out, they might hear it on TV, they might have visited church at Christmas or Easter, and the word goes out and it goes nowhere. It just lays on top. The enemy comes immediately to steal it. Why would Satan come immediately to steal the word? Because he doesn't want your life changed. So that's a choice you have to make. What am I going to do? But this first one talks about hard alongside the way, hard ground, and it goes on top. I really believe this is a picture of hardness of heart and have no value for the kingdom, no value for what God's way is in your life. So let's see the next one. Verse 16. These likewise are ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So what's the picture here? It's rocky soil, rocks in the soil, you hear the word and you say, yay, best thing ever. Have you ever done that? I mean, seriously, have you ever gone and you heard something and you're like, this is just wonderful. I mean, it's just like you're so excited. I've been there. It says you immediately receive it with gladness, with joy, but you only endure briefly. Why? Because it says tribulation comes. That word tribulation in the Greek is, <laughs> kind of have to have a lisp to say it. It's thlispus. <laughs> so funny. I kept practicing it. Just take my word out. It's T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. So, and this is what it means. This word tribulation in the Greek, thlispus, means pressure, oppression, stress, adversity, crushing, squeezing. Have you guys felt that ever? All of it? Yeah. It really means to put a lot of pressure on something which is free and unfettered. So the word comes and you're like, ah, and then the pressure comes. The tribulation comes. It's interesting because John 16, 33 uses this same word, that lispy word um, of tribulation. It says, in this world, you and me, we're going to have tests, we're going to have trials, and we're going to have tribulations. You know what the rest of that verse says? Be of good cheer because he's overcome them. 
So I am telling you, when the word is sown and tribulation comes, say, oh, Jesus told me this was going to happen. That's our job, you guys. But when I think of rocky soil, nope, I'm gonna back up. It says persecution will arise for the word's sake. It says tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake and immediately they stumble. So that word stumble means offended. Have you ever been offended by somebody's faith? Have you ever been offended when you're in a spot and you need a word from God and God graciously sends you a wonderful friend that starts telling you the truth and you're like, I don't wanna hear it. That's being offended. That word is um, another Greek word. I have not taken Greek, you guys, but I love knowing what words mean. It's scandalizo, scandalizo. It's where we get scandalous from. So it says, when you get offended by the word, when offense comes, it means it will hinder right conduct or thought. Isn't that interesting? Think about the last time you were offended, even if it wasn't for the word's sake. Maybe somebody said something to you. When you start being offended, all of a sudden, you've given up right conduct and right thought. Is that not true? The Bible says don't do this. Don't be offended and cause yourself to stumble from what was just offered from the word. It's interesting because I feel like I used to not look at this this way, but there are stones or rocks in the soil, right? Jesus said the soil was our heart. So what are those rocks, do you think? Could they be unforgiveness? Could they be fear? Could they be offense? I just want you to know, whenever we have bought a house and moved, and if there were rocks in places we didn't want them, do you know what we did? We picked them up and got rid of them. <laughs> we moved them to where we wanted them. Or we pitched them over the cliff or the little ledge that we have there, whatever. Did you know I pitched things over that? Should tell Tim. <laughs> anyway. But I just want you to know, it's, I just have been sitting in this, and it's like, God, rocky soil, if it's my heart, what could those rocks be that over time I've let be there or somebody threw it into the soil of my heart and I let it stay? Does that resonate with you? That you could have allowed things in your heart through life that God didn't intend and it's choking the word out? If you've ever, like, I love being in Montana and when you hike, there's a lot of rocky soil and you'll see little plants coming out. But when the sun comes out and it's 100 degrees, they just wither because that rock gets so hot, it just fries those little plants. I mean, we really, if you want plants to grow, they need to be, have a root system and they need to go down deep, but rocks are in competition. But I felt like the Lord said, Beth, what are those rocks? Are they judgment? Can we talk about that one for a minute? Do any of you deal with the rock of judgment? Can I tell you what it looked like and sounds like in my life? You hear about somebody doing something or you see them do something and inside you say, ugh, I would never do that. Holy Spirit says, judgment. Oh, sorry, God. That is, that, that's not mine. That's not my business. I repent 
You need to start recognizing these things or they're going to mess up your soil. But that's one way judgment can look. Um, it's just important to make these very personal of unbelief. You know, it's really interesting. The word talks a ton about unbelief being tied to hardness of heart. Did you know that? What if one of those rocks is unbelief? I have had things in my almost 60 years of life that I prayed for that didn't happen like I prayed. Some things that God promised and I still haven't seen. And I get to choose if I'm gonna keep believing or shut my heart down in unbelief. Nobody picks that for me. You are solely responsible for the level of belief you have today. Ouch. You know, there are people that didn't come to know the Lord till they were 40. And they only know a handful of things and they live far larger in God than people who've known God all their life. It's because they took the word, they believed it, and belief always has action. The word believe means action. There is something we do. So I just want you to be honest and we're gonna just take a moment. Holy Spirit, if we have rocks in our soil, would you highlight those? We don't wanna give one inch of space of our heart to rocks that are just dead weight and don't produce anything but death. We give you permission to talk to us. You're so good at revealing things we didn't know were there. Thank you. So let's go to verse 18, because it just gets a little stickier. Now these, these seeds, the next ones, are ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is really interesting. Look at that. This is for a little comic relief. Don't you feel like that? Sometimes you're in a war. All right, let's show the real picture. <laughs> um, look, they so want to grow. Ah, but what's in the way in your life? It says the cares of this world. This word cares is so interesting. It means to divide the mind. A divided mind. The definition is anxious beforehand. It's giving way to something that you think is going to happen. God's asking you to live right now because faith is now. He's right in the moment. And a care comes in and you get divided mind and <gasps> what's going to happen when this happens? Anybody relate? Cares of this world. A divided mind. It's interesting because that same word is found in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you affectionately. So he knew cares would come. He's not saying, Beth, don't ever have a care. It's what do you do with it when it comes? Are you gonna let it become thorns and choke out the word? 
Or are you gonna cast it on the Lord because he cares for you affectionately? That's our choice. Again, personal responsibility will give you powerful results and the word will produce what God intended it to. Amen? But it's a choice of what you're doing. He didn't say cares wouldn't come. He's telling us what to do with them. It's interesting, James 1.8, do you remember what it talks about in James? When somebody's asking for wisdom and they ask, but what happens? What happens? There's a wavering, the Bible says, between hope and fear. If you look up the definitions of those words, a double-minded man. The Bible says ask, ask in faith and don't waver. The wavering is hope and fear, hope and fear. Double-minded man, it says in James, will not receive anything. I've been there. I've been there where I'm like, ah, yeah, ah, ah, ah. I call it mental ping, ping pong. What about this? Then what this? And then, then of this? And you're spending all this time and energy, you're allowing fear and worry to take over the space of your heart. And then you're wondering, why am I so anxious? Cares, divided mind. I just love that he says, I knew cares would come, but what you do with them will determine what happens in your soil. Personal responsibility. Do you know not one of you in here are responsible for my heart or my garden? Let's just compare it to if I had a vegetable garden. April has a garden. I'm not responsible for what's in her garden. I would like to eat from what's in her garden. (laughs) But I'm saying she weeds her own garden, right? And so we just have to make this personal when the sower sows the word, what's in my heart? The cares of this world. Do I have a divided mind when it comes to you, God? So can we just pause and ask him about that one too? Because I just figure, let's make this practical. Jesus, do we have a divided mind? Have we let cares become a way of life where we just, that's how we always operate and nothing's peaceful and nothing's whole? We know it's possible to cast those all on you because you care for us. Illuminate where we're at. Locate us in our own heart, in our garden. We kick cares out in Jesus' name. I think one thing, the way I know if I'm in care, there's anxiety, confusion. How about that? That is a real whoop. Confusion's there. It's like, Beth, you're in care. Stress. Did you know that too many options invite confusion? How's that for picking out a wedding dress, Hannah? Too many options. Like, ah, right? I mean, seriously, we're talking about the sower sowing the word. We have one option, the word, and it will produce life and health and all the things we're longing for, right? One option. Too many options invites confusion. When you feel that, you just say, shut up. I'm not listening to you, confusion. You are crazy if you don't talk to yourself. You tell yourself what you're going to believe, what you're going to do. Wasn't long ago I had said something and I said, Beth Johnson does not talk that way. I am so sorry. They kind of looked at me like, but I had to, I just had to put that. I was somehow I'd gone off the rails. I was like, no. All right, so cares, we dealt with that. But what's next, guys? 
Oh, I wrote down something I have to say. It's a good thing I wrote it down or you wouldn't hear it. Is the word hindered in your life by the abundance of the world? When we were just talking about cares and too much, is there an abundance of the world in your garden, in your heart? Next one, deceitfulness of riches. You know what this doesn't say? Money. Doesn't say money. Doesn't say abundance. Doesn't say the blessing of the Lord. A thorn is deceitfulness of riches. So what's the deceitfulness of riches? I'm just going to explain what I think. You guys could probably add a lot to this. But the deceitfulness of riches is your position, your title, accolades, your retirement, um, what you've planned, what you have. The deceitfulness is the whole world can crash and I'm going to be okay because of this. Or when nobody else can have a job, I can have a job because I have this position. I mean, there's a deceit that comes with a lot of things and we don't even realize it and we start operating in it as a comfort zone and realizing the same price was paid for every one of us. You know, it's the blood of Jesus. The value on every life, no matter what they do, what they have or don't have, is exactly same in the kingdom. Is that correct? But we don't think that way. We're not in a world. Um, we feel like... I will be okay because of all my stuff. If my house is paid off and everything crashes in the world, I'll be okay. Do you see where that can be a deceitful thought? Because we're saying we're going to be okay based on situations instead of I'm okay because Christ lives in me and he's the hope of glory and he's the author and the finisher of my faith and he provides everything that I have need of. That's why I'm okay. Plus, I've sown a lot. And if you sow, what's going to happen? You're going to reap. Amen? Give and it shall be given. So I just feel like deceitful thinking in riches, the deceitfulness of riches is anything I've added to what Jesus says I am, I'm fooling myself. If I think I'm more valuable because of what I've attained or what I've, and I, you guys, I have had the privilege of working for multimillionaires. I've had the privilege of being in worlds of tons of money. I've been responsible for accounts that had $12 million in one, $14 million in another. It just becomes zeros, you know? I've been, and what I find is when people get levels of success, they feel like they're isolated from normal life. And while it affords privileges that you should enjoy and can enjoy, don't buy into the deceit that you're okay because of what you've accumulated. So that's my definition. That's the Beth Johnson sitting with Jesus definition of the deceitfulness of riches. But I read a story about Queen Victoria, and she died in 1901. But this is what she said, and I thought it was so profound. She was listening to the preacher one day, and he was talking about Jesus' return. And the pastor noticed she was weeping. And he went up to her and he said, my queen, what, 
why were you crying? She goes, oh, I hope that he returns while I'm still alive. And he said, why? And she goes, oh, that I could lay my crown at his feet. I've never been a queen. I don't even know what that kind of lifestyle's like. But to be later on in her years and have such a revelation of what King Jesus means, that she was hoping he would return so she could take her position and everything that represented and lay it at his feet. Isn't that the way we should live? Like, I feel like we just don't want the deceitfulness of riches to be a thorn. So the next thing, are you still with me, guys? The desire for other things. Oh, my goodness. Has not our phones and our tablets told us all the things? There's things I didn't know existed. They fly, they leap, they dance, whatever, you know. Desire for other things. What does that mean? How could it be thorny in my garden? Desires for other things. First on my list of description is comparison. What a thorn. It will choke the life of God out of the promises over your life. The moment you start comparing means you want what somebody else has or what you think they have. Because comparison always lies. You do know that, right? Comparison is a liar. It's telling you whether it's on your phone, whether it's over coffee and you think their world is perfect. The moment you start comparing, thorns are growing up to choke the word, the promises over your life. Desiring having appetite for things that God has asked me not to have an appetite for chokes the promises over my life. Did you know if you're always looking in somebody else's lane and what they're doing and how they're running their race, you're missing running the race set before you? The word of God tells us, run the race set before you. Why? So that you will win the prize. And so I feel like we're challenged in this day and time to say, Jesus, I want to keep my eyes on you. You started this journey of my life. You had a plan. You wrote a book of my life before one day began. And that's not going to happen unless I personally cooperate with you for it to happen. And if I'm so busy desiring other things, I miss what he has prepared right in front of me. Amen? And so it's something you have to say, am I distracted? Am I desiring the wrong things? God, I don't want to kill the plan you have for me by being focused on plans you have for other people. You know, I only have a small understanding of the plan God has for Tim, and he's my best friend. And we've been married 37 years, and I have some ideas, probably better than most people about Tim, I still don't fully understand what God has for Tim. But what I can do is I can pray for him and I can pray the word over him. God, this is what you said. But it's so interesting how people get so caught up in having their eyes on other people and what God's doing or not doing that they're not running their race. If you feed distraction, what happens? 
it grows. If you feed comparison, it grows. So again, we're talking about the sower sowing the word and he's sown it in your heart. And thorns, if you are feeding those thorns, they will grow more than the word. Comparison, I've said this many times, probably every time I have the privilege of sharing, comparison kills faith. Faith is now, and God's not comparing anything. He's asking you to fix your eyes, to seek him, and he'll show you. So let's go to the last verse. This is where we are, guys. The seeds, the ones that are sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. Do you know that we are designed to flourish like plants in good soil? There's a picture of what it would look like. Wow! Don't you want that, guys? When God looks at your heart, don't you want to see an abundance of it could be 30-fold, it could be 60, it could be 100-fold. Like, this is one thing I know to be true. I have never met a person who had nothing that if you offered them something, they didn't want it, right? If somebody, I, I've encountered people who had zero money, and when you offer them money, they want it. I would want it. So God is right now saying, we can have a harvest, of him and his word in our life, and it can produce 30-fold. It could produce 60-fold. It could produce 100-fold. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm told I can have 100, I don't settle for 30. <laughs> and it might be my temperament. It might be the possibility of, God, if I let you have more room, then there can be more fruit that brings you glory on the earth. Jesus, towards the end of his life, said, I have finished the work you've given me to do, and I've brought you glory on the earth. That should be every one of ours life verse. I have finished the work you've given me to do and brought you glory on the earth. So when I look at this, the seed is the same in all instances, correct? The problem is with the Soil. So the seed will produce after its kind. We read that in Genesis. There's all kinds of scriptures. God sends his word forth, just like the rain and the snow, and it will, it will produce. But he's telling us here, the soil is the key factor of what will be produced. So I feel like we need to take personal responsibility Recognize that bearing fruit is not a problem with the seed. It's in the soil. I can never do what the word says it will do. I can't do God's part, and I'm not responsible for that. But I'm fully responsible for my part. And what kind of condition will I let the word be sown into? Look what's possible, you guys. Look what's possible in your life. Like, this gets me so excited that I can change the conditions of my heart and the soil of my life to make room for it to produce as God intended. You know, the life of faith 
is a life of movement. Too many people are living for a moment. They have an event faith. When this happens, ah, everything will change. People do that in the world. They think their wedding day is the best day ever. Oh my gosh, then you have a lot of terrible days ahead of you. <laughs> it's a great day. It's a Hallmark day. It's a holy day. It's exciting. But if you set it up as the best day ever, I kind of feel bad. What, what do you have to look forward to then, right? But we've let this kind of creep into our thing, this event faith, when this happens, when I get my healing, when I get my mate, when I get to retire. I mean, don't take event mentality into the life of faith because faith is a process. Seed, time, harvest, right? Faith to faith means stretched to stretched. For me, it comes down to surrender. And that's how I kind of want to pull this together. God can't do in my life and in my heart when I'm not willing to let him. And surrender always requires sacrifice. You know, it's not scary to be surrendered to the Most High if you're assured that he loves you and that he always has his best for you, even when it's no, even when you've asked for something and you don't get it. When you are convinced of his love, it's not scary to surrender to the king of glory. It's interesting because he sets before us life and death, blessings and cursings. He tells us what's possible. And I feel like he just says, will you start right where you're at? It's not, oh man, I've really wasted the last two years, the last 25 years, whatever. Start right now where you're at. Take an inventory of your heart. How's your soil? What does God want to do? What does he want to get rid of? What does he want to water? There's all kinds of scriptures that talk about that. Planting, watering, first the seed, then the blade, then the, you know, I mean, there's just so much. The whole kingdom revolves around this. But start where you're at. Parts of Jesus will never be formed in me or in you unless you're willing to die. That's what sacrifice is. God, whatever needs to die in me to make room for a different harvest. I pray today that we have the courage to follow God's invitation to trust him, to sacrifice. It will take you out of your comfort zone. Did you know that? Becoming like Jesus will take you out of what you're used to. When we ask God for something different, then it's going to be different than what we've had. Amen? And I just really want you to know that if you're willing to pay the price, then you're willing to pave a road for your life. And the price is, will you die to yourself? When cares come, because they will, when tribulation comes, because it will, Jesus promised, when trouble comes, will you take what the word says so your heart and your garden stays clean and grows more because you're on your way to 30? Maybe you're on your way to 60. Maybe you're on your way to 100-fold. 
but it's up to you. So when Jesus said, if you don't understand this, how will you understand any? I just want you to know your thoughts are seeds. Your attitudes are seeds. Gone unchecked, they will come huge and they will choke life out of you. And you're like, how can my thoughts be seeds? Oh, trust me. Do you remember when the word says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? And it talks about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and to bring into captivity every thought, every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. Because what happens, your thoughts become imaginations that then become strongholds. So thoughts are seeds. And I don't know, maybe somebody in here has never had this, but when I was praying the other day and just driving along, the Lord said, you know, Beth, pretty much everybody at some point in time has had a thought come, you're driving down the road, I should just drive off the bridge, nobody would care. Something similar to that. Well, when that's come to me, I said, that's such a lie, I'm not believing that. But when people don't realize it's a seed looking for a place to land, then the next time it comes, you're like, oh, that's probably true. If I died today, who would care? I haven't left a mark. Nobody would care. And then the, the thought becomes bigger. Then you start imagining how would this happen? So this really affects every area of our life. And that's why I think he said, if you don't understand this parable, the others will be difficult to understand. So can we just put ourselves at the restart point? Can we just say, for those who feel stirred, those who feel, yeah, I just needed this adjustment. I love going to the chiropractor. It's like, whoo, now I can stand straight. I feel like Holy Spirit does that to me regularly. But that's what the word should do. It should wash us clean. It should correct us. It should convict us. But let's just ask him to do some rearranging in our gardening space. Are you, are you willing to do that with me today? Father, the word is truth. It's powerful. We never have to do your part, but we get to stand before you, sit before you with our hearts wide open and say, I want to do my part. Create in us, God, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Where there's hard parts of our heart, Holy Spirit, will you till it? Will you soften it with the washing of the water of the word? Where there's rocks, continue to identify them and we will chuck them out and give them no space. We will rebuke their, uh, their um, right to be there and give them no space. We will resist what the enemy's done and he will flee. If there's thorns, if we've let cares come against us, become cares in us, we're no longer partnering with that and we say no in Jesus' name. We break those agreements. We break that in the mighty name of Jesus. And we cast all of our care, our kids, our finances, our future, the mess of where we're at and what's around the corner. We cast everything on you, King Jesus, because you care for us affectionately. Father, we will not be deceived. We will not be um, by a lie that there's something better than what you have for us. We stand our ground in our heart and say, have your way. Thank you for sowing life. Thank you that you sacrificed and you died so we could live. We honor you. We thank you that we're works in process, that we're making progress. And even when you correct us, it's for our good so we can live bigger, brighter, make more room for more fruit.
And Father, the world needs us full and free so that they can know you love them. So thanks that you started this work. We're giving you permission to continue the work. And I covenant with you again today, I will cooperate. I will die to Beth. Your people here will die to themselves and take up the cross that you've asked them to carry and let their hearts be full, free, and productive. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.